Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Oftentimes when you hear the word amateur, you think it means someone that is unskilled and willing to work for free. Though true, in many cases, the viewpoint is short-sighted. For a fighter, the skills come, like anyone else, with rigorous training and dedication to improve through practice and preparation. Once you attain your professional status, your record counts and the clock begins to tick on the short shelf life of an MMA career. Today we are joined by a local fighter who can give us a little insight on what it means to go toe-to-toe with a foe for the passion, not the proceeds. Coming up next on the Spent the Rent podcast, amateur MMA fighter, Alex Youngbauer. Today is amateur MMA fighter Alex Youngbauer. Alex, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I appreciate you coming out. Uh, we met, you've been a regular customer of the barbershop and you and I had been talking about your fighting in, in MMA and mixed martial arts and really the big thing is that you're an amateur and so we wanted to discuss kind of the, what, it, what it means to be amateur, what that status means and the benefits and the pros and cons against you know, declaring that you're now professional. So we'll get to that in a minute. But again, thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you started out in wrestling. Yes. At the at the high school level. I mean, earlier than that even. Yeah, there's a mat club all the way since um, seventh grade. So did your parents, were they just kind of into that? Or did you just kind of find it yourself? And yeah. they probably... Yeah, oddly enough, they had neither of them had wrestled. Um, neither of them were really big fans of the sport either. Um, but I was just at... Uh, the middle school one day running around and the high school coach Mike Simons was there and saw a short kid kind of stocky kid said hey you might ever tried wrestling you might like it and and just kind of planted a seed in my head and a couple years went by and I kind of thought about it and finally just tried it and And kind of stuck yeah just kind of went from there it's funny because you you know I know people can't see you but you are uh you know, a small weight class, yep. 125. Yep. So at that time in middle school, you were like 80 pounds. Yeah. And I <laughs> was know. super self-conscious about it. I'm sure. And yeah. so hearing that probably was like, wait a minute, I can do something where I'm, I'm aggressive yeah. and, that, and that I'm perceived as tough, you yep. know, that's yep. awesome. And I know that's not all it's about. I mean, I think that's the beauty of mixed martial arts is it's about inner, like reaching inside yourself and all that good stuff and learning discipline and patience and stuff like that, you know, but like, I'm sure that had to have been appealing because nobody was going to be like, hey, you should play basketball. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, the <laughs> yeah. Basketball was actually my first love. I, I dreamed of playing in the NBA as a little kid and 
slowly realized that was not ever you know and feasible. it's crazy because there is people that do it you know obviously like isaiah thomas but the fact that we could name one person yep. that's like five eight you know or yeah. whatever but uh it's cool for people to pursue that if that's their passion because you could still play at a college level and maybe even professional but so the beauty of mma is that you kind of there's so much of it you could do it everywhere so obviously wrestling doesn't mix straight i mean it, it's a preparation for mma but it's not gonna you can't just be only a wrestler and then have that be it right correct yeah and i feel like wrestling while while the skills don't translate 100 percent perfectly um it's mostly just the worth ec- work ethic right. and like is really popular in the sport the grind right that's the training exactly and... just that day in day out cutting weight always just right no missing practices God, that, and what did your parents especially your mom what did she think about like cutting weight when you're already at what in high in high school like 103 correct yeah and you had to cut weight for that obviously for that class i didn't luckily i didn't have to cut weight until about my junior senior years but um they were my mom was so concerned about it she made me go see a doctor because they didn't really understand the whole weight cutting principle that most of it 90 percent is just water weight not actual body mass right they were concerned about me stunting my already limited growth right um but yeah i mean i ended up cutting about five pounds a week senior year and that wasn't too bad but for an 18 year old kid who's never dieted before in their life didn't really understand nutrition and properly feeling your body it was very different for me and that's become something you've been focused on right nutrition so you study you're studying classes online with sports performance and nutrition is what you want to focus on. Yes, that's the goal. You know, and that's something, obviously, Joe Rogan's podcast is super popular, but he has a lot of stuff about nutrition and has a lot of guests in MMA. And and they, you know, it's, it's I always, some I listen to them talk about it and sometimes I wonder if it's just all bullshit because it seems like they're just lying to themselves because it is so unhealthy to cut weight. But I don't think it is. I think there's something there. I mean, the keto diet, for example, because you've told me you've done that. Yeah, I did it a couple months ago, yeah. And it... Did you just feel sluggish at first, or did, and, then you, and then you tricked your body into staying into ketosis? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a struggle for me to get into it. Um, luckily, I had a couple friends that were already doing it at the time, so they were big supports for me to kind of teach me the how to get going on it. And uh, yeah, it really was a struggle to get going, and you realize like, oh wow, everything is carbs, everything know, has right? sugar, and um, it did take me a while, but once I was in ketosis, I was really noticing that I didn't have like the big ups and downs and mood swings throughout the day. I was really level all day long. Um, right. I was didn't have the really strong hunger pangs and strong cravings. Uh, I just kind of really felt really uh, settled. I'd and say. even when you were training, you didn't feel like it didn't give you the enough fuel? At first, I thought, wow, I didn't even notice a difference. I, I was training really great. Um, it wasn't until a couple months into it when I was continuing to drop weight um, and continuing to lose body mass that uh, I started noticing like I didn't have the pop um, and that extra little twitch, quick twitch um, in practice. I was, I'd have the endurance, but I didn't have that extra little go that I needed sometimes. Right. And that's what kind of encouraged me to. So you st- went away from it. Yeah. I still stick to a lower carb diet, right. but. It's funny. My girlfriend does a keto diet as well. And, and she goes back and forth. And at this point, hers is different reasons. It's weight loss, you know, that she's focused on, but. But hers uh, is a, you know, the way that she thinks about it, it just drives her nuts because like you said, there's, there's carbs everywhere and, and, you know, sometimes with food, it's like, that's what life is almost is going out to eat is all the different things. And it becomes such a drain to have to think about it constantly, you know, and for someone like you, I mean, you're working your way to become a professional athlete. And so that's different because your, your body is your product. Do you know what I mean? So you obviously have to, you know 
and and then also your studies like you're finding you doing that i think is gonna be really great for how you can explain it because you've been through it you know what i'm saying so that's really cool uh so early on in mma you started out with art of war it's the only gym you've trained with correct yep walked in on december 1st 2017 and never left Uh, right and now who runs that that is head coach jason georgiana um he's a seasoned mma veteran he uh, fought kind of before the ufc really took off to being a household name like it is now um but he's fought many ufc veterans um he's a 10th planet black belt which is one of the uh top schools in jiu-jitsu in the world right and uh he is just uh all around savage <laughs> right right so now what is it is is jiu-jitsu is your main focus i'd say i kind of i know it's kind of um cliche but i really call myself an mma fighter because even though i did start out in wrestling and i trained pretty much exclusively jiu-jitsu and muay thai my first couple years um i really really work hard to keep all the aspects of the game at the same level right like even kickboxing, you just, oh, yeah. just practice different stuff. And I'm sure that even though it is jujitsu, you will, in that gym, you can learn anything. And that's, yeah, that's a beautiful thing about our MMA practices is that we, we go over striking um, exclusively, we go over um, grappling exclusively, um, but when we do our live rounds, um, it forces us to stay honest with the techniques because you can't be trying some jujitsu stuff and put yourself in a position where, oh, you get stuck and I can't block punches right now. Right. And then it's like it's like a quarterback. A backup quarterback is going to be a scout team quarterback. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So when you're sparring somebody, that be like your fight is against a stand-up kickboxer, for for, for example. You're, the person that you're going to spar against is going to use that technique. Absolutely. Correct? So that you prepare for that and then kind of, you know, it's essentially like here's what you might see because you have no idea. You know, there do you, is that something that's that's kept secret? I mean, obviously at the amateur level, the scouting process is a lot more difficult because there's a there's not a lot a lot of uh, tape on the person, but then also they're advancing rapidly, so they may have learned something new that you weren't expecting, and yet you know, so that'll throw you for a curveball, I'm sure. Definitely, and yeah, a lot of times at the amateur level, I feel like it's just you show up and you fight. You know, <laughs> right. I know I feel like I'm still improving at such a rate that I don't need to spend my time and effort worrying about what that what guy is going to do. Doing. I need to focus on me right now. Right. Yeah. And that's cool. That's good to know. And I'm sure that for a spectator, those amateur fights are probably pretty popular. Oh yeah. They're, they're rugged. You know, th- there's not a whole lot of feeling out process often. It's um, not like a concert where the opening acts, like no one's watching. Like I think that in the, would you find that the audience is disrespectful though, to the amateur fighters a little bit? Like th- it can be. I definitely noticed they, uh, you get the, I don't want to call them typical tap out fans, but the guys that just want to see blood. They want to see a war. Right. They don't appreciate the art and the sport. However, at the end of the day, it's an entertainment business. Sure. So I understand it. Um, I was really taken aback by how supportive just random people were after my, I lost my first fight in the first round and I was crushed. You know, this was a dream I've had since I was like 10 years old and I was just thinking the worst thoughts like, oh, I'll never, never amount to anything. Sure. The sun's not going to rise tomorrow. And, uh, I was just walking around the venue and the amount of people that just came up and would give me a hug or say, hey man, great job and I appreciate you coming out. It really, really lifted my spirits. That's good. I mean, and that's, like you said, there's that. There's, and I think when I was talking to people about this, you know, promoting this, that I'd say, oh yeah, I'm going to have a friend. He's an amateur MMA fighter. And they'd be like, amateur. And I'm like, no, see, you don't understand that what that means. And we're going to get to more of that in a bit. But what that means is that he does this because he loves it. You know, it's not. And so I'm I'm glad that there is both sides because a lot of people have that, 
we're not going to say the tap out. Sure. We're <laughs> saying it, but I mean, I've been at places before where a van pulls in a bunch of dudes and tap out shirts pop out and it's like, Oh, it's time to leave because yep. it's just meatheads. And, and unfortunately that's what a lot of people think of the sport. And I totally, when I talking to you, I knew that you were above that, that you had a deep passion for your body, for your art, for, you know what I mean? All of it. And that's, that's pretty impressive. So I'm glad that people saw that your spirit was broken and, you know, to push you along because they've been there. I mean, every, I don't know. I'm sure that there's people that have not lost, but it's rare, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. and in MMA, I mean, people that are household names like Conor McGregor, for example, have losses on their record, you know, five, six, Chuck Liddell's lost like 20 times or something. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's where it's so different from like boxing and kickboxing is you don't need to have that perfect record to be a star. If you're entertaining, you can keep, whether that be talking um in the conferences oh, and whatnot sure. as the connor effect or uh you just like to put on a great show and you always go out there and scrap you will get a great following regardless and i'm sure that it's it's posturing so it's like if if you had a couple bad matches but then you came back from it and it's like man he's had a really good 2016 so 2017 he's gonna have some chances oh yeah and then they put you in a challenger fight to where the next one might be you know, going for the top or something. And we're, you're so far from that. I'm sure it's not even, I'm sure you're a fan of the sport as well. And watching it, you know, you're taking bits and pieces. And every time you watch like a major, uh, pay-per-view, it probably, you're like, God, I want to just, I want to get back and grind, you oh, know? Absolutely. I, every time I'm like, all right, let's break out the pads. I need, I got so much adrenaline going right now. I need to, need to get some, get some energy out right now. I remember when I was younger, this is, I don't want to go too off track, but this is funny. So we were watching celebrity boxing one one time, and it was like Screech from Say by the Bell, and and Todd Bridges from Who's the Bar? I can't even remember from uh, different. I, I can't remember different strokes. I think. Anyway, so uh, afterwards, my friend my or my friend Maya was like, and he's done the podcast. He's like, anybody want to box? And another friend Ryan was like, I do. And I'm like, if you guys go out in my courtyard and and get bloody, I'm not giving you my towels. And it lasted like two seconds. Like Maya was just like, bam. <laughs> But yeah, it's, you want to replicate it when you see it. And I think that with the tap out dudes that everybody refers to, that's what they're talking about. Cause you, you see these people out on the town and they're like, I just watched this fight. I just want to piss all over somebody after I knock them out, you know? And that's just not what it is. You know, there's more to it than that, but I digress. So let's talk about the big differences between amateur. Once you declare, and how does that work with becoming professional? I mean, obviously there has to be, you have to be at that level to where you can meet that, where you can fill bills, right? Yes. Yeah. That's one thing that I didn't foresee it would be such a, uh, not really an obstacle, but an issue with turning pro is, uh, those guys that putting on, that put on the, uh, cards, the promoters, they want you to sell tickets big time. Right. They want you to fill the seats because at the end of the day, they're trying to make money off of their promotion. They do love the sport and we need them, but they like ticket sellers. Um, so it's self promotion. I mean, whether it's Instagram, and all that stuff. And you have to grind just like a hip hop artist would. Yeah. You know what I mean? Essentially. Or whatever. I mean, I just use that as an example. And I'm terrible at that. I've done music in the past. And that was for one, I made shitty music. But for two, like, that's a thing that's difficult to do is, is self-promotion. Even this podcast is really difficult for me to get the word out, you know, mm -hmm. and it's growing slowly, but I'm so passionate about it that it will continue to evolve. And it's the same thing with fighting that if you just are honest, but you're a humble dude. So I'm sure you run into that where like social media, you're like, I don't want to just be like, that's my whole existence. Yeah. It's, it's a whole other aspect that I didn't even think about that. A lot of people, I mean, you need to be consistent with it right. and that it will help um, advance your career. Definitely. I think that's tr what's true about social media though. 
that if you show your fitness goals, I think it inspires more people than you'd realize. Do you know what I mean? So it's not cheesy to post and then the hashtags and all that stuff. It grows your audience and it's not cheesy because I think people at least maybe it's because I'm in my thirties and not my twenties, but, but I'm starting to really notice that I appreciate people that are way different than me that have different goals and are doing different things just if, if they're happy or if they're on the path to happiness, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. with social media that where there's so much negativity that I think you'd be surprised on if it's inundating how much you posted, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Cause I know that you're humble. I'm sure that it, that it, that it'd be like, oh man, I posted about it yesterday. But, but if you have like goals, that's a good thing to kind of grow your brand. Yeah. And you get those people that follow you and want, want to see you reach those goals. And that's what is really special. I feel like. Right. You know, and they may not even be into it, but there's people that I, I mean, there's a friend of mine uh, on, on Instagram, Robert, that's a local guy that he's a, uh, he's, he's called the lifting carpenter, but he is, it's incredible. I mean, I think he's doing like body sculpting. I think he's doing, uh, competing with like bodybuilding Mm -hmm. and it's incredible to watch. And sometimes I'm like, you know, I feel fat or something. And I look at it and I'm like, but then I think about it. I separate myself. I'm like, dude, good for him. Cause he's putting himself out there to hold himself accountable. And I respect that. So that you'll have to find that niche. But I'm like you said, in order to get them to consider you, you have to be you have to have this following. Yeah, it's a big thing that even five years ago, people didn't look for. And now it's almost required. And it's weird because I don't know how much humble gets you in that. Just kind of like hip hop. You know, it's like how humble doesn't get doesn't get the attention, doesn't get the the likes and the and the people coming back for more because they want controversy and all that stuff. And would you say on a local level, too, that they want all that? Like, is there a lot of talk? It, it, people love it to the trickle down effect i guess you could say sure. with the connor thing um but like you said like even on the highest levels the humbleness isn't appreciated like it is in a lot of other sports and uh, professions you know right i mean nba basketball has done a really good job with twitter you know and and how that stuff is selling it because you know they talk a lot of trash like Joel Embiid, for for example has just really crushed it how but he's talks a bunch of smack you know he but it's all fun and games like it's not you don't feel like it's they're really hating on each other and they back each other up like you remember Lillard was like no Westbrook and I are buddies like I hope you understand that like I was talking trash because it's a game yeah draws the best competition out of each other right and then Joel Embiid after a tough loss he's like I sucked you know and I think that's great that you see that human element and you know he obviously we're talking about the biggest in the sport you know so he has that luxury someone like yourself I'm, I'm sure it's tough because if you are too humble or too hold yourself to personally a personal accountability like people are like whoa man so that navigating that's got to be tough yeah if you almost have to put yourself out there and i feel that need sometimes um i like you said i'm a very quiet person i don't go out and talk to people just randomly or go looking to make friends necessarily but uh it definitely helps to build your following. Yeah, that's crazy. So when you do declare, obviously, so so you've done three perf- or amateur fights, and how did the first one really come about? You just kind of you're obviously working with with Art of War, so they probably helped. Yep. Right? So I've got what's great about what I love about what Jason does, uh, my head coach. He is essentially our agent, or so sure. to say. Um, he is the one that contacts the promotions that are consistently in uh, Oregon or Northwest area, constantly putting on show- shows, and he sets up um, our fights. Um, to, before that, though, you have to get licensed by the athletic commission of each state, right. where you tell them, hey, I've been training here for so long, I wrestled for so long, 
and they have to approve you and issue you your fighter's license. Right. Once you have that license, then you can go to any... I do it through Jason, which is great. takes a little weight off my shoulders. Um, but we can go to any of the promoters that have an event coming up, generally posted through social media and how they spread the word, like we were saying earlier. Right. Um, and then you just say, hey, I'm looking to fight at this weight class. And it's kind of just a wait and see, and you cross your fingers, and they ho- sure. you hope they call you. And then when it does happen, if you have like a big knockout or you a submission or something like that, then that obviously gets shared, and then people are like, whoa, you know, the people that are there. Uh, so you had a big fight coming up, and it, it, uh, it's not happening. So what happened with that? Well, another promoter issue. I was uh, supposed to fight May 25th. I was really looking forward to it. This is my first fight after a long layoff after surgery. Yeah, because you had hand, a hand injury. Correct. And uh, I was, I've was i been training since probably January, very consistently. And uh, about two weeks ago, I was looking on uh, my opponent's, uh, it's called tapology.com, just a kind of amateur ranking website. Right. And I noticed that he had a uh, fight lined up in Canada. I was like, oh, that's odd. He's fighting the night before we're supposed to fight. How's that working? So I messaged my coach, and we messaged the promoter, and they said that the opponent never confirmed. Um, However, on all their social media posts and all the posters for the event, there was his last name, there was my last name. So all the indicators for for me were that, okay, fight's going ahead, until I had to do the research, and oh... Turns out he's not fighting me. So he's fighting someone else, somewhere else. Correct. And then that obviously, is there repercussions for a gym that does that? I'm sure that, like you said, Jason is his name. Correct. When you have integrity, like I'm sure he wouldn't do that. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? And so, and so do they just not tango with that gym again? You would hope that they wouldn't. And for the most part, um, people respect the consistency and just go by your word with that. Right. But... At the end of the day, if people are in a pinch, they're going to call their entire contact list to try to get a fight oh. in there. And that happens in music, too. There's like a, you know, unprofessional level sometimes where people either don't show up and, you know what I mean, or just aren't prepared. And, and that ah, that's such a letdown, you know. And it stops people from, you know, grinding. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are like, I put so much into this. And then how long does it usually take to get the next fight? That's the issue is that you have to wait for these promoters to say, hey, this is the date we're having a fight. Um, so for right now, I was looking to fight as early as even March. Um, couldn't find an opponent for any of that stuff. Um, there was actually another amateur event last night in Portland. Um, the guy I beat in about a year ago, he was supposed to fight for the amateur flyweight belt. This is the third time they've made that match. And once again, he pulled out. And then, and, so they don't show up, and then so the people that go to the event are then it's just an empty card. Yeah, they're left with one less fight, right? One less uh, performance they get to watch. Ah, that's really hard. You know, that's hard all the way around because the fighters are. You know, I I joked with you when I was cutting your hair. We were talking about this, and I said that Brian Wilson used to play for the Giants, a baseball pitcher. I don't know if you remember me saying this, but I was like, he said, because he was a relief pitcher. He's, they're like, what do you, what do you feel when you warm up and don't get put into the game? He's like, well, I like to call it blue balls. Because basically, he's like, he's like, I'm ready to murder somebody at that point, you know, and and I'm sure that it's got to be, you're so ready to go that oh man, and then the next one you're just built up, you know. Yeah, it's very frustrating because at the end of the day, I know this is I'm still training, you know, I'm still improving as a fighter and I'm improving all my skills, but you want that 
little tests. You want to prove it to exactly, yourself. Exactly, the you test, know? exactly, to kind of see where you're at. Mm-hmm. And, and there's like, you know, you want like every three, five months or whatever, at least to have a fight because you're not getting younger, you know. Exactly. Not that, I mean, you're a young man. You got a lot of, a lot of fight left in you, but so... Uh, no, that's nothing scheduled then for the time being. That's a, that's frustrating. Cause when we booked this podcast, you had that coming up and we were going to promote it and, and that's, that's frustrating. But, uh, you know, when, what do you think is a decent timeline as far as a goal to go pro? Like what would be the, the point where you think that will happen? You know, I think it's really different for everybody. Um, with me, I've really, I've been struggling to put all the skills together in the cage itself. I feel like I perform really well at practice. Um, so once I have a couple good performances, overall performances in the amateur cage, I feel like I'll be ready. Um, five fights, five to ten fights is pretty yeah. average, I'd say. But then you have guys like one of my teammates, Tobias Baker. He uh, wrestled in college, came into Art of War, trained for a year, had three amateur fights, won them all within, I think, the first minute. And he just had his pro debut last night, wow. dominated the wow. guy. Yeah. So he's just... His career's just taken off. He's just ready, right? Yep. And then, so for you... For, it's hard to compare necessarily because everybody's at a different spot too and, and probably different weight class, right? Yep. You know, So once you do declare though, there's just no going back. So that's something that for you personally, you kind of not hesitant, but you're just aware of, right? Like, well, Yeah, absolutely. And that's one really cool thing about MMA is with amateur, once you go pro, that amateur record means nothing. You are O&O, you are a beginner. It, right, yep. starts over, which is huge. So uh, you had mentioned before that you lost your first fight. And I took the picture for the flyer of this. People can see that. Was that from your your second flight? Correct. That was my first one. Because you looked pretty damn excited. I after, was amped. After the victory. Explain to us what happened with that fight. Yep. So I came in. I had a probably almost a four-month-long training camp. Standard is about 12, maybe eight weeks. Wow. I had a couple of fights that fell through. and So, so, I you, was, had, so you had blue balls. Yes. I was chomping at the bit to get in there. And uh, I came out. I used my little movement, and I was running around that cage, and we went all three rounds. Um, I won the unanimous decision, and uh, I wasn't entirely sure. It was almost like, oh my gosh, is this too good to be true when they called my name? I was, I just had a terrible feeling when the judges were reading out their scores, like, oh, I'm, I'm, they're going right. to call the other guy. But yeah, I heard my name called, and that was just a culmination of all the work I've put together. I feel like it all was the pinnacle right there, and I just it's a pretty great the world. picture. I mean, you know, anybody listening to this, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then you're not going to see the flyer, unfortunately. So, I recommend that you go to the website strpod.com under episodes, or you can look on the Spent the Rent Facebook page or Instagram, you know, or everywhere, and find the flyer for this because it's a pretty great photo, and it really captures just how your excitement and and achievement and accomplishment it's pretty cool so you won that fight by decision uh, is at the lower level or the lower weight class like a uh, what is it called flyweight flyweight so uh are decisions are knockouts as common at that or is it more do they go the distance usually definitely especially in the amateur um a lot less power at the lighter weight classes right. a lot more movement um but if you look at the actual uh, statistical breakdown of all the weight classes professionally, the finish rate is actually higher at flyweight than it is at heavyweight and light heavyweight. Even though those guys have monstrous power, you see if it's not a first round knockout in those big weight classes, a lot of times it goes to the decision because they don't have the endurance or the uh, cardio abilities to push for, get, get a finish in the later rounds. Right. Right. Then that makes sense. So the finish rate, meaning that it goes to decision. Uh, yeah, correct. Yeah. So that's higher in, 
in the smaller yeah, yeah so lots of submissions lots of tko finishes because it just comes out of nowhere it's just like one pop you know yeah that's cool i definitely want to come and watch it's funny it's got to be hard for like what does your mom say about it's mother's day so let's say i'm sure she hates it the fighting she loves that i'm passionate about my fitness and nutrition uh she hates that i get punched in the face for fun <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure I'm sure, and the, the day will come when it becomes professional, change things, but, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's never easy, you know, and then there's concussions and all kinds of different stuff that come with it, because I'm on the verge of just not watching football anymore, just because of the concussions. Fighting, I don't even think has at that same level, because it's not repeated in the same motion, necessarily, I don't know. Boxers have a pretty horrible disposition with it, but I think MMA is maybe not quite as bad as boxing. 100%. Yeah, they just don't have the repeated blows. That's what they found are finding is the really um, damaging uh, I guess uh, strike. Right, yeah, Yeah, just repeated. And I think, you know, it's like offensive linemen and running backs that it's like the same hit, same hit just over and over again. So back to uh, the weight class. Now, the UFC doesn't have a flyweight, or they're phasing it out. Correct. It's unofficial at this point, but they've been steadily cutting fighters without notice, saying, hey, you no longer work here. Wow. So, so to somebody like myself that's not really versed on MMA, UFC is just its own league, essentially? Correct. Yeah. You, you could equate it to the NBA. Right. Of and so MMA. MMA obviously makes martial arts. That's a that's a that's just a description of what it is that you do on what level? I mean, with amateur, but there, when you do a fight as an amateur, there's professionals at the top of the bill, usually. Right. There's amateur knights. Right. And then there's there's the professional level. What are they under? They're not under the UFC. A lot of times in the smaller professional promotions, it's just one fight contracts. You, okay. you, you set a date, you go in there, and then you're a free agent once again. Once you start getting in the bigger leagues, the UFC obviously being the top, then you have the other leagues, kind of like Bellator, um, a new one called Pro Fighters League, PFL. Right. They do multi-fight contracts. Those are really for the top-of-the-line athletes. Right. And so is there anything on like a local level or is it just pretty much one-offs? Oh, it's yeah, especially with amateurs, it's all one-offs. Yeah. Um, even at some of the, like my teammate Chris San Jose just won last night, get his third, I believe, uh, professional title. He's still signing one, two-fight deals. Wow. The yeah. organizations wow. just aren't willing to commit to even a proven commodity like him. Because the turnout has to be questionable. Like sometimes it's crazy and they sell out and... And then the other ones where it's like a 20% turnout or less, you know? Yeah. And that's where, like we talked about building that following and really proving yourself as a commodity to those promoters. That's where you get your worth as a fighter and you get that early commitment. You get those title shots because they know you're going to show up, you're going to put on a show, you're going to sell tickets. I, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but it, like in Eugene, who would be, you could say biggest or top two, maybe like Jimmy Jeanette. Maybe was is that gets the biggest draw. Would that yeah, he's a huge crowd favorite in Eugene. Um, he, I think he's been kind of in and out of the sport recently. I mean, he's an older guy. He's yeah. been at it for a long time. And and then you know, Jimmy's got the recovery community that that's a huge encompassing thing that they automatically show support. And I mean, he works his ass off and gets you know does a lot. Uh, so who do you think is the biggest up and comer? That you keep your eye on in your weight class. Ooh, um, there's one kid who he just went pro, but his name's Keanu Moyer. Uh, I've been angling for a fight with him ever right. since I first fought on the same night as him on my my debut. Right. He he was the main event that night, and I was like, hmm, all right. And, and he's a Eugene fighter. Uh, he trains out of Portland. Okay. Um, but 
Eugene doesn't really have a consistent uh, promotion that shows up here. Right. We have maybe one a year. Portland's really the hub. So do you know uh, Evan Dunham? Oh, yeah. So Evan Dunham is... Was flyweight, correct? Uh, he was actually a lightweight. Lightweight, yeah. so it's a little heavier. Uh, right? 155. 155. Yep. Still really like a little guy, you know. or <laughs> Little guy. He's a little guy. No. But Evan Dunham was a good friend of uh, a guy that I used to play music with, Joel Bowie. And I'm going to play a song at the end of this episode that features Joel Bowie. It's from a crew I used to be. We'll talk about that in a bit. But Joel Bowie trains in Maui. He works now. He's from Eugene and he works with uh, Maui Jiu-Jitsu Academy and he's pretty accomplished. And I've seen him, you know, in the corner as a coach. I've seen him work on Bellator tournaments and stuff or Bellator, is that how you say it? Bellator, yep. And uh, I mean, he was on like, I think it was Bellator. I don't quote me, but because I'm, I'm, it's not my my first love. I like basketball more, but but uh, I definitely would, you know, was was really excited to hear he was. It was like a championship fight too that he was in the corner and working with. Like, I don't know the fighter's name, but Evan Dunham and him were good friends, and I and Evan would come out to Three Blind Mics, which was their their hip hop group, and and Awkward Storms music, which was pretty cool. So, you know, Evan, what's he doing? Have you kept up with his career? Yeah, he actually just retired this past year. Um, he was a, I think he fought in the UFC for over 10 years. Wow. Um, top 10 ranked for a long, long time. A really, really accomplished grappler. Great MMA fighter. But he just um, retired and he has owned a gym, a jiu-jitsu gym in uh, Vegas for a few years now. Um, recently moved to a new building and they've got a great program going there. Wow. Now. Have you yeah. been there? I haven't, but I'd really love to. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, he's from Eugene yep. and I've, I used to cut his dad's hair and it was funny cause his dad just did not look like the kind of guy that would be into it. And he was just super supportive and super proud of him. I mean, obviously he reached the pinnacle, you know, I mean, I think he had, did he, I don't know if you ever got a championship necessarily, but he was in the conversation, you know? Yeah. I, he, he could have, I don't follow it, but, but, uh, that's cool. So, um, you know, that's a big concern, though, is the is the weight class going away. And what would you do in that case? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of opportunity, maybe not at the UFC level. Do you see that if we're that if that were to happen where they just do away with it, it sounds like they're going to. Would that present maybe a different thing would pop up or is it less? Is it less popular, the flyweight? That's the issue. In the MMA community, it's one of the biggest issues. It's a huge outcry, it seems, from what I've seen, is that people don't understand why they're cutting the division. You know, with this, when we talk about the statistics, the finishing rate's high. Um, the fights are fun. There's no shortage of fighters that want to fight at flyweight. Um, I, I think a lot of it is just you get a lot of the people sitting at home saying, oh, these guys only weigh 125 pounds. I could, I could, I could sit on them and win the fight, you know? Right. Um, and that's a, a huge issue is... Like Bellator, they don't even have a 125-pound weight class. Um, and a guy like me, who's I'm only 5'4", moving up to 135, I just don't really have the frame for that. Right. You know, maybe five, ten years down the road, I can fill out I mean, a little you bit will. more. I think you will naturally that, that you know, I was 145 pounds when I graduated high school. And then I'm 220, and I mean that's fat, but like, a lot, but truthfully, your metabolism changes. Yeah. And then, and then the ability to hold on to muscle mass, and you will. You know, I would imagine, especially in the next two to three years, that you'll really fill out. But I mean, you're already built. You know, you've, being a little guy, you're already built. So it's it's hard. It's just discouraging when you when you hear that that they're like, yeah, just put on another ten percent of your body weight. Yeah, it's you know? a, it's a huge moral dilemma for me. I I'll wait till uh, things start getting official with it, and 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 then yeah. on a, you know, 
you're going to continue to pursue your career regardless because there will be, you know, maybe not as high profile, but that's not even necessarily on your sites yet. Correct. I mean, right now it's just, it's just grind amateur status. And Correct. Yeah. So I want to kind of change gears. I, I didn't, I hope this isn't too controversial to talk about, but you know, Joe Rogan, they, it gets a lot of heat for the uh, trans community and, and a lot of the comments he makes. What are your thoughts? And, and I, I want to give you an out before I even ask the question, just to be fair. This isn't something that you decide. Do you know what I mean? But sure. what would, what are your, you know, so it's not something that you necessarily have a vote in or have influence in. So it's not really an issue, but I'm just curious your thoughts on when you have trans men. So trans transition from women or vice versa, where they have trans women that, that were born biologically male and then they compete against people that are, I guess, considered cis, you know, like where they were biologically just born male. What do you think about that? Because that's a big thing. I, obviously, we support trans rights. Absolutely. In the society and community. But when you're talking about taking, you know, testosterone, what do you think? I mean, do you think it's an unfair advantage? Well, yeah, it's it's an issue. The interesting thing is that it's an issue that we've had several times now in the, in the MMA community. Um, back in 2010, there was a fighter named Fallon Fox who um, was born a male, transitioned to a female. And she is a very talented fighter, no doubt. But she was fighting women that were, I mean, six inches shorter than her. They, right. they, they, the weight class didn't really matter as much. And she, I think she was like 6-0 and as a pro, just absolutely dominating these people. And she was disqualified because she had even higher levels of testosterone than the men are allowed. Um, because weren't men, anybody in the sport of MMA, you're not allowed to um, use exogenous testosterone. You're not right. allowed to inject testosterone. Um, that used to be back before USADA overtook most of the uh, UFC's drug testing. Um, the testosterone replacement therapy was called, was completely legal. And people, I mean, as young as 25 were doing it. Right. People that were just in, completely messing up their endocrine systems and their levels. Um, I don't really, I haven't done a whole lot of research on it to be able to give a fair assessment of it, but I don't know. You know? I mean, it sounds like it's, e it's easy as saying there's rules in place, like the testosterone levels. And if you're, if you're doing that artificially, then that's not fair. Correct. You know, you know? I, mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a form of cheating, even though the intention was not to cheat. Right. Cause I think with basketball, for example, there's not, I mean, obviously basketball, football, baseball, the major sports, if you're using performance enhancing drugs, you're disqualified, but there is not as much focus on body mass, body size. You know, there's different, I mean, obviously you're, it's not, you're not matching up versus your opponent based on your, it's like, you're not going to be, I won't fight you because you don't meet the criteria. It's just that I go up against Shaq and I lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so there's no weight classes or any of that stuff. So it's different when you have a sport that is global, like in the Olympics, would, would they allow it in the Olympics? I doubt it. Oh, absolutely not. You know? yeah. And so it's such a question. And I think Joe Rogan gets a lot of flack for that because people look at it like he's talking about the community and I don't think it is, you know, and I think I, I understand. I, I personally do feel like it's questionable on if, if I, you know, I want to support people being accepted in the community, but maybe that's not, that's the tough thing it's because you don't want to disqualify somebody because of that. But at the same time, I think it, it can create an unfair advantage. I've heard of, of Fallon and that, and that they had talked about, you know, her doing that and that's you know just destroying people it's like almost hard to watch yeah like at the we like you said we want to 
let everybody live the life they want to. But when it comes to a professional competition like this, it has to be an even playing field. So for women, there's not as much focus on weight class. Uh, there is now because of that. You think? I, I think definitely it contributed to it. Um, also, just spreading the sport. Um, Ronda Rousey. Everybody sure. knows Ronda Rousey. Right. Can, She's like the Tiger Woods of women's. Uh huh. That's yeah. what I would think of is the, of women's MMA. That she is is somebody that's like, oh, this is actually fun. And right you know? now, it's cool to hate on her because she went to the WWE and sure. she and she got left. her ass kicked a couple times. Yep. twice, right, by the same person. Uh, two different people actually. Okay. Yeah, she got knocked out twice. But I feel like in ten to fifteen years, we're gonna look back and. We're going to understand the kind of figure that she was for the sport. Well, and she's a, a heel now. I mean, in, in wrestling, that she's doing the Roddy Roddy Piper camp or whatever. Yep. So, was it... Who beat her the first time? Holm? Heidi? Correct. Yeah. Holly Holm. Holly Holm. Yep. Sorry, I don't watch her. But Holly Holm, how did she do after that? Well, that was the really interesting thing, is that Holly came into the sport as a really high-level boxer. She was a champion in a couple different organizations, and she kind of had a slow start in MMA. She was... Um, undefeated in a lot of the smaller promotions, but she was just fighting girls that were nowhere near the right. level of uh, top UFC athletes. And she got to the UFC. She had a couple weak split decision performances. She was staying undefeated. Um, and finally, the division was just so thin um, because Ronda had already cleared it out that they were just looking for a name and they wanted to build their pay-per-view. So they ended up making the biggest UFC ever down in Melbourne and Hall, Holm excuse me, and Rousey headlined it. Right. And, and then thinking, who knows that it was going to go that. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, someone did, you know, obviously if they put it at the top, because it's just, it, uh, though Ronda Rousey was, was becoming what people were tuning in for. Just, all 50 just seconds. To see her, yeah. Just to see her win wasn't what necessarily what people wanted. It's like, the, you know, it's an interesting thing. You know, back in the day, my friend Bert used to throw these things called BFC, which was Bert's fighting championship. And it was... And it was out in Crow or Lorraine or one of those rural areas. And they would get hay bales in a circle and they would drive trucks because it was at night. So the lights would be in the middle and it was unsanctioned. He ended up getting in trouble for it. But and they had oversized boxing gloves for the girls. And that was always the best. You know, people would be really excited about the guys because they would just kind of like a heavyweight. Essentially, they would really go after each other and it would be really fair matches. But the girls, they always had these like weird kind of setups like uh oh yeah that's your ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend let's do it <laughs> and it was and it was good sports my friend sean girl Chantal, she competed and i don't know if that was the dynamic but it was something to that effect and it, it got pretty heavy like it was brutal you know and it was just so i just sat there and just they had kegs so i was just <laughs> i quit drinking three years ago but man i would just sit there and i've never been a fighter into violence but i would watch that and just be like oh because the big gloves you know when you're doing something for fun the big gloves made it really casual, you know, like yeah. it, it was just big pillows basically. But cause you guys wear these little tiny things and, uh, you know, so you, you had a hand injury. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you, you were unable to compete for a while or even train. What did you do during that process? Just a lot of cardio. Yeah, I did a, just a lot of hiking, honestly, a lot of feeling sorry for myself and right. potato chip therapy on the couch. But, nice. but uh, yeah, for me, it was as soon as that I got the clearance to move my arm around a little bit, I was back in the gym. I was just kicking the bag for 30 minutes straight. What happened with the injury? Uh, so in my last fight, uh, trying to block kicks, I landed a couple times on my thumb and I tore the two uh, stabilizing ligaments in the thumb. Wow. And that's the worst one you've had first, yeah. first surgery. Yeah, that's the first surgery I've ever had. Luckily, I've been gotten actually never even broken a bone. Wow. Um, but yeah, that 
it was definitely different for me. I've never really had to learn how to recover properly and kind of allow myself to recover before. So that was a big learning process, but I used it to really just educate myself and kind of put things in perspective. You know, I was coming off of three fights in a row and I was just wanting to pedal to the floor and I was forced to stop and it made me kind of just, like I said, go over things and right. assess why I'm doing this and assess myself as a fighter, what I want to do when I get in that cage. Right. That's cool. I mean, and that's the opportunity that comes from it. It's a mental thing. I think for athletes, when you get hurt, you realize, what am I going to do after this? And then yeah. that makes you realize that every day is like, I got to live it. You know what I mean? So, well, Alex, it's really cool to, to have you, you know, come and chat with us about, about that world. And I really want to come and see you fight. And hopefully it's sooner than later that you actually get a ticket. Jason's a hard at work, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So uh, we'll go ahead and share your, your what's the big one that you promote? Your Facebook, Instagram, any of that? I'd say probably my Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah, at and Alex Youngbauer. At, at Alex Youngbauer. So I'll write that down in the in the show notes of this to make sure that people can click on that and give them a follow. Come on, if you're listening to this, make sure to follow Alex Youngbauer because his fight's are you know coming up up and comer and you know we want to see you progress and all that stuff and i appreciate you coming out uh i'm gonna play a song like i said joel Bowie. this song is a throwback it's uh the clowns of class which was a crew that i was in back in 2005 2006 and this i picked the song because joel raps on it first we all did four bar verses and joel like i said before trains at the maui uh jiu-jitsu academy but he's from Eugene, Oregon. So Alex, thanks a lot, man. This is cool that to come in and hear what you have to say about amateur MMA and, and what it means and all that stuff. And I can't wait for you to turn pro. And I want to, I mean, I want to see your next fight regardless, but I can't wait to see your first professional fight. And I hope you get to fight your buddy you're talking about. Hey, thank you. And thanks for giving me the platform to talk today. You're welcome, dude. So, so Alex, at Alex Youngbauer, Youngbauer, I'll put it in the liner notes. Don't, I mean, I, the Facebook too, we'll, we'll throw up there, but don't inundate him with messages. Just, just follow him and give him a like. So, hey, this is uh, Clowns of Class. I try. I try turning the time backwards. Sometimes the memory can leave me with a lack of words. Even though you never really understood my past, it's all good as long as you let the love last. Logic gets lost when anything in between. All the unbelievable people you never get to see. Transform the storm, forget about the stresses. Your dreams are down and they're ready for life lessons. I try to keep a bit of a life. Cause who really knows when the world's gonna end? It's all in the palm of your hand. Too bad you can't read your own fortune. I get inspired by the people that I don't know, people that I meet, and the people that I now know. I just try to cruise through life and kick it with anyone trying to keep the same vibe. I think today I'm about to let myself get lifted and get rid of this heavy crown that keeps on dragging me down. I'm ready for some heavy inspiration. Wrap my hands around creation and choke it till it bleeds. I try to ignore and dismiss thoughts of exploring the abyss I slipped into a brain dead state making it pointless to concentrate I try to find myself alone with others We will move on the clowns of class band of brothers Day, heading back to the drop board, long 
before and I see door promote knock on storms. First album, till then I'm researching madness, taking clowns captive as is out of classes. Get inspired by the people that I will meet, read about, listen to, watch and learn, monitor, can't be without. I try to come back to reality daily, maybe one day we can say it's all gravy. Life is sped again. Piss where I'm ahead of pin fist so they let us in. Just bevel it again. If you don't get it, then you better get in. A credit to Reddit, pathetic that you let it begin. Try, try.